Last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. And from that time that Christ rose from the grave, 40 days began when Jesus began to make appearances to validate his resurrection. 40 days of appearances. The first one began on Resurrection Day itself. And today we're going to look at one of the experiences that two men had on the Emmaus Road when they were wondering and doubting and fearful that Christ was not alive. Somehow he was dead. He knew he died for real, real blood, real torture, but in real burial. But they didn't know for sure in their minds and hearts if Christ was alive and been resurrected from the grave or not. And so they were walking along what was known as the Emmaus Road. The Emmaus Road, it began in Jerusalem and came down to Emmaus. It was seven miles long. They were walking along for seven miles, and the Bible tells us what happened during that time. So today, we're going to talk about them and their shoes, mainly them in the shoes they were wearing. And we're going to talk about Christianity in shoe leather, Christianity in our shoe leather taking Christ with us wherever we go. And also the fact that you and I, from time to time, get on that Emmaus road as well. So let's talk about shoes and the Christian faith. Now, you know, shoes are like people in some ways. For example, shoes and people have souls, right? That's true. Uh, shoes that lace up have eyes, eyelets, people and shoes have eyelets. Shoes and people uh, have heels. Some shoes have heels and some people are heels. On the other hand, shoes and people have tongues. People have tongues, shoes have tongues. A lady went to the doctor and she was feeling really bad. He examined her and he said, well, you're fine. All you need is some rest. She said, it's got to be more than that, doctor. Look at my tongue again. He said, yeah, that needs rest too. So we need to understand there's a similarity between the shoes we wear and the very people we are. And God wants us to make the connection because where our feet walk is where Christ is to walk. Simon Peter was big on walking with Christ. He said, as Jesus walked in the world, you walk. Did you know that Jesus walked every place he went every day of his life except one? Palm Sunday. That day he fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 and rode in on a colt to demonstrate the prophet's truth that he was and is the Messiah. But every day he walked every place he went. Now people choose their shoes. For example, the choose, shoes you're wearing today, you chose those. Maybe you chose them for comfort or maybe you chose them for style and a little flair because it kind of speaks about your personality and who you are and how you like to look. Or maybe you chose them out of need. Maybe you have to have a certain kind of shoe to be able to get around the way that you want to. Did you know the Bible says that Christians are fitted for shoes, for the gospel shoes? Ephesians chapter 6 says we are to be fitted to wear the gospel in our feet inside our shoes. 
we're fitted. In other words, God, when you become a Christian, He fits you up with gospel shoes according to your personality, to your gifts, to your skills, to your desire, to your passion. And by the way, when you're a Christian, you can get new shoes almost all the time. You know why? Because Christians are supposed to grow. Every time you grow, there's a new pair of shoes. So if you have an old stinky pair of shoes you're still wearing, too bad. You've got to grow up. Just like I do. You have to grow up like all of us have to grow up and get those new shoes. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. Walking and running are the two major descriptions of the Christian life. It's about 99% walking and 1% running. Sometimes we need to run to speed it up. God's with us in the running and in the walking. And by the way, the shoes you wear as a Christian, you don't get them off the rack. I told you a moment ago, they're fitted just for you by God to enable you to walk and live and show your faith wherever you live. Paul said, walk worthy of the calling you have received. What calling was that? When Jesus called those original Christians, the apostles, what did he say? Hey, you follow me. Well, how are you going to follow Christ if you don't walk with him? Follow me. That's the calling of a Christian. Follow me. Walk with me. Walk beside me. Don't walk ahead of me and don't lag behind. I'll walk beside you and you walk beside me. We walk in Christ. We walk for Christ. And we walk with Christ. So in this interesting story in Luke chapter 24, already on that resurrection Sunday, Christ had raised from the grave. He had appeared to Simon Peter and the Emmaus road. Do you like to walk, by the way? I like to walk. I try to walk every single day of my life if I can. But in my neighborhood, I've noticed that there are quite a few walkers, but now there seems to be a lot of golf carts. <laughs> Everybody's riding around in their golf carts. But the Bible tells us that we are to walk for Christ. So in Luke chapter 24 today, we're going to see these two men. So look at your Bible where you turned a moment ago, and let's begin to read about these two gentlemen as they walk. Verse 13 of Luke 24. Now that same day, what was the same day? That was the day of the resurrection. That same Sunday. This happened on Sunday. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself, notice that, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Now let's just stop right there for a moment. Keep your Bible open because we're going to read the story as we go along. So they were walking along, talking about things, all the things that had happened in Jerusalem, in the crucifixion and the resurrection, 
and they had a question. They were wondering, is Jesus Christ alive or dead? They had every reason to believe that he was dead, but they also had reason to believe that he was alive. They wanted to know, we're following him, but is he dead? Just like all the other prophets, all the other religious leaders whose bones are rotting now in the grave. Are his bones going to rot in that cave? Is he just going to be another dead martyr? A dead redeemer is no redeemer at all, unless he's alive to keep on redeeming us. And by the way, that's the question that all of us must ask seriously. Is the Christ I say I believe in alive to me? Is he a living Savior? And more importantly, in some respects, is this question. Am I alive to Christ? Am I living in the Christian power of the resurrection? The Bible tells us that it's really not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible. You can't do it without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit through the resurrection of Christ enable you and me to equip you and me to live the Christian life. So they were asking these questions. They wanted to know. And then all of a sudden the Bible says the Lord himself. There's that word himself again. We talked about that recently. Himself appeared right there with them and began to talk to them and discuss the very things they were speaking about. And of course they wanted to know when he asked them, what things are you talking about? And he said, uh, he asked them what things. And they said, well, are you the only guy in town who hasn't heard about what happened in Jerusalem? And uh, so he caught up with them to affirm them. So what I want to spend the, the heart and soul of my message on in the next few minutes is this. In the Bible, we're told that Christ loves you. Your life matters. You count. Where you go matters. How you think matters to God. Your very everyday attitude and spirit, your outlook, your viewpoint, your worldview matters to God. He loves you so much you could say he's just completely crazy about you. He wants you to walk in this wild, wild, crazy world with the peace and security and serenity and strength that only Jesus Christ can give in a crazy world like we live in today. And for that reason, he caught up with those two men. And for that same reason, he will come alongside you as he came alongside them. Jesus ever lives, the Bible says in Hebrews 7. He ever lives, that means he lives forever, to make intercession for us. He's still making intercession for us. He's still enabling us, empowering us to live the Christian life. So when he came alongside them, he was coming there to strengthen them. Now the Bible tells us in the passage we just read that they, when they were asked, what they were talking about, their faces were downcast. They were dispirited. They could, you could say they were 
depressed almost. They had to get away. Have you ever had that thing happen to you? Things get so stressful, so intense, so anxiety-filled. You've just got to get away. You've got to get out. You've got to take a drive. You've got to take a ride. You've got to go for a walk. You've got you to find a friend or take your mate or go somewhere, do something, just talk it all out. It's just tearing you up. That's what anxiety is. It literally means to tear apart. They were torn apart. They were depressed. They were dispirited. And Jesus himself came up to them to walk alongside them and begin to help them. And he'll come alongside any and every believer because Christ wants us to have a spirit that's powerful and living in him. And so he re-spirited them. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what situation you face in life, if it dispirits you or despirits you, you can be re-spirited. This is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, the power of the Son of God, the power of the Church of God to re-spirit ourselves. Do you need to be re-spirited? You can. God will deliver you from that despirited thing. And then there's another reason that Jesus Christ will come alongside you himself through the Holy Spirit. And uh, he'll come alongside of us to lift us out of our negative or defeated attitudes. Go with me again to verse 14. I'm sorry, to verse 19. So let's pick up the story again. So he came alongside them to pick up their spirits. But look at verse 19. Jesus said, what things, he asked. And they said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Now, there's a sermon right there by itself. Some women amazed us. I agree with that. Women are amazing. These women amazed them when they gave the news. They went in the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So the women saw him, but they didn't. So these men were walking along thinking, well, who's right? Did they have a hallucination? Did they imagine it? Did their grief make them want to see Christ? Or did they really see the risen Christ? So Christ came along to overcome their negativities and to help them know that Christ was alive and well. You know, here's a very important thing about your Christian life, or whether you're a Christian or not. When you get down, when you get discouraged, you start getting negative. And you know where it starts? In your own head. You start talking to yourself in a negative attitude, a negative, self-defeating spirit. Oh, I can't do this. I won't make it. I'm not adequate enough. I'll never get there. Everything's against me. 
Everybody's pulling against me instead of for me. I can't do it. My prayers hit the ceiling. I can't go on. I'm not going to make my goal. I can't bear this emotional stress. I can't handle these financial problems. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And the more you talk negative, the more negative you get. Now, Christianity is not merely positive thinking. But I'll tell you this, positive thinking is a part of Christianity. Jesus said that he gave us the power to overcome. We are overcomers. I think it's time for me, about my second time during each and every year, to repeat that little maxim that kind of took me up off the floor one Sunday morning just before I was to go to church, to preach. It was the Sunday, the only Sunday in my entire life as a minister, many, 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 many years, that I did not want to go to church. I did not want to go. And I sat there on the bed and I made up my mind, I'm not going. I'm not going. I don't want to face all these problems that this little church had before I got there and while I was there. And then suddenly a voice, because I always listened to Christian teaching before I went to church, a voice came and said, never surrender the control of your life to a negative thought, a negative emotion, a negative circumstance, or a negative person. But say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was like a lightning bolt hit me. I jumped up from the side of the bed. Suddenly, I was infused with my own negativity. And I'll guarantee you that morning when I got revived and lifted up in Christ and defeated my negative thinking, I went to church that day and the Lord led me to bring a wonderful message and things changed. The Lord will come beside you. The Lord will come beside you. He'll help you just like he helped these two men on the Emmaus Road. And another reason that Jesus himself came alongside these men was to speed them up, was to speed them up. They had slowed down so much they were barely even moving. Look at verse 25 in Luke 24. Verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus, when he walked along with them, he called them foolish. He didn't call them fools. He called them foolish and slow learners. Now, how many times have I been in that situation? Slow learner. Slow, slow, slow. And I imagine all of us have been there sometime or another. We need to speed up. He was actually saying to them, listen, why don't you speed up your mental process? You're so slow. You don't get it. You're not taking the word in. You're not reading and thinking about what God is telling you. Of course, as you know, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. People say, well, I'd like to hear God talk to me. Well, all you have to do is open up a page here, and God will speak to you right from these pages. When the Bible speaks, God speaks, and he speaks to you. 
And he will speak to you as often as you read it and get into it, like this story today about these two men. So he began to talk to them about what the scripture said about the fact that he was destined to die on the cross. Before Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the Bible says, he set his face, according to Isaiah, a prophetic verse, like a flint. A flint was a hard piece of stone. He set his face. He determined that he was going to do what needed to be done. He was willing to go into Jerusalem to die. Three years earlier, when he was baptized down into those waters by immersion, he was immersed into his own picture of death. He was raised up out of those waters to show that he believed God would resurrect him. It was a prophetic event. And when you're baptized, have you been baptized by immersion like Jesus as a believer? You too will be showing God that you believe him, that you trust him, that you're going to speed it up. You're going to move ahead a little faster in your life. And by the way, these prophecies that Jesus referred to, the Bible says he went back and began to teach them all the things that the Bible had talked about in the scriptures about his death and what it meant and how he encouraged them and told them all the things that the scripture said. Prophecy is a very important part of the Christian life. If there's one reason any unbeliever ought to become a, a Christian is because of prophecy. Because prophecy is the brain of God written down on paper. It's the vision of the future shown to us in words and pictures and parables and visions. And Jesus' own death was prophesied. It's been said there are more than 300 prophecies about Jesus himself in the scriptures. And many of them relate to the death, the birth, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the second coming of Christ. But I want to point out one prophecy that was very interesting to me in the very um, second year that I was a Christian when I was in a Bible college in Clearwater, Florida. A man came that day in the chapel program and he was preaching about prophecy. And he was pointing out the comparison, now stay with me. He was pointing out the comparison between the Passover of the Old Testament and Jesus' death on the cross. Are you still with me? And he said, he pointed out from the Old Testament that Exodus and Numbers says that when the Passover lamb was offered, no bone was to be broken. No bone was to be broken of the Passover lamb. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said that Jesus is our Passover. John called him the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was a danger, humanly speaking, that his bones, his knee bones, would be broken. Because that death by crucifixion was so agonizing, so horrible, so cruel, that many times when a person would linger and linger, the Roman soldiers, those big burly crucifiers, 
would come up with a rod and they would smash the kneecaps because the knees had to rise up above the saddle on the back on the cross to get air into their lungs. You basically died from the blood and the asphyxiation on the cross. And when you could no longer have the strength to rise up on that cross, your lungs could no longer take in air. And they would break the legs. But in the Gospels, we're told, in John chapter 19, that they did not break the legs of Jesus. And it went on to say, not one of his bones will be broken. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. The Old Testament predicted that Jesus the Messiah, when he was offered upon the cross, his bones would not be broken. Prophecy. For some reason, that passage stuck with me and still is with me today. One simple prophecy among hundreds. By the way, I have a little pamphlet here, a brochure, entitled 100 Prophecies Fulfilled by Jesus. If you would like to have a copy of it, Gateway Community Church will make it free available to you. Today on your choices and connections, you can mark it that you want this. And those listening by Facebook today, you can do the same. Contact us and say that you want all of these prophecies. You want to understand the nature of prophecy and why prophecy is the one indestructible truth that points to Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And what evidence did Jesus use when he came upon those two men? He didn't appeal to their emotions. He didn't try to make them feel guilty. He appealed to their intellect, their mind, and their spirit, to the prophecies of the scriptures. Now, your emotions are wonderful. They're very important. Use them. Enjoy them. But remember this. It's your spirit and your mind that keep you going in the Christian faith. I think many times we Christians are way too sentimental about Jesus. Way too sentimental. By that I mean, I mean that tears take the, places, the place of walking with your feet. Emotional bursts take the place of everyday walking in the shoes of Jesus Christ's power and your feet walking for Christ. There is a wonderful poem, Footprints of Jesus, and what a wonderful poem it is. It's wonderful. But I have to tell you, that is not the picture of the Christian life. It's not. It's the picture of an emergency rescue. Because Jesus doesn't want to pick you up and carry you everywhere. Hey, moms and dads, you still carry your 25-year-old son around in your arms? No. What do you do? You try to teach them to walk, to think, to talk, to live, to mature, to grow. And that's the life of a Christian. Yeah, when you're in such dire straits, Jesus will pick you up, like Footprint says, and carry you. But for 99% of the time, he wants you to walk, 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 walk. That's the Christian life. And he wants you to do it in maturity. And sometimes we have to speed up. We have to speed up. Sometimes I catch myself slowing down. I was uh, at a business this weekend, as a matter of fact, and there's a guy there that I've been talking to now for 
more than a few years. And I can hardly ever make any progress with him. And uh, he, he kind of resists me. He knows me. He likes me. He likes to hear me talk about things, but he tries to, he resists me. And I was thinking when I was there this weekend that I must be slow myself because I'm not, I'm not picking up the pace enough. So we were talking a little bit about end times, about prophecy. And I gave him the picture of the pregnant woman. You remember that picture Christ gave of the pregnant woman as a symbol of the end times? The woman starts out pregnant and her stomach gets larger and larger, representing the signs of the times. Larger and larger, more signs of the end times. Larger and larger, more signs of the end times. And then finally, it's the time for the birth, the time for the return of Christ. Now, he was really listening to this. Then we got interrupted by a customer. So I had to wait. And I'm thinking, well, what am I going to say to him now? I've been interrupted. So here's what God gave me to say to him to speed me up and speed him up. So I walked up to him when they left, and I said, hey, you want me to baptize you? <laughs> That'll get their attention every time. Want me to baptize you? He said, well, I've been baptized. I said, really? I said, was, was that when you were a child? He said, yeah. I said, was it when you were an infant? And for the first time in these years I've talked to him, I had a fruitful conversation with him because I speeded up and I speeded him up. So I think things are going to happen. That's what I'm believing. And things started happening with these two men. They started looking up, speeding up. And the Bible tells us that their life was changed. So here's what happened. Here's the conclusion of the story. You still with me? Let's hear the rest of the story now. If uh, in this story, look at verse 30. We'll start there. Well, I believe we need to start at verse 28. As they approached the village, I'll give you a moment to get there, verse 28. As they approached the village, that's the village of Emmaus, to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, break, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They had not recognized him to this point. Himself was standing there with them, but they didn't know it. But now they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. That word there in the Greek literally means became invisible. This supernatural resurrected body, he was going to be appearing in this fashion for 40 days after the resurrection at various places. One time he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. We'll get into that in the next Sundays. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning with us within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them. Who were the eleven? The apostles and those who were with them. The others, the women, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke 
the bread. Now, you might be saying, oh, they had the Lord's Supper. No, that's not what this is. It's not about the Lord's Supper. It's not communion. It means they sat down to eat something together. Things happen in fellowship with believers when their minds are focused on not so much on the food, but on the fellowship. We say we have fellowship meals and we enjoy the food and thank God for it. But also there's to be that Christian fellowship as well. So something happened when he broke that bread, when he broke it. They sensed something. They saw something. They recognized. And now you know what? That was on them. That was on them. They recognized him. He made himself visible. He made himself there. But they had to do the recognizing. How many people are going to miss heaven and miss the Christian life on earth because they simply don't look? They're careless. They've got cataracts on their eyes, spiritually speaking. They don't see the very thing that God wants them to recognize right there in front of them. What these two men did, you know what they did? The Bible tells us they got up and they walked back seven miles. So how many miles did they walk so far when they got to the end of their journey? Let's see, seven times plus seven is 14 miles. In the shoes, Jesus walked hundreds of miles. He had this sturdy pair of Jesus sandals. He got around very well. And they walked 14 miles that day in sandals to get back. And when they got back, they brought the news. And this brings me to my conclusion. Here's my conclusion. Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel. Honestly, I think I probably have the ugliest feet in this room or practically any room. But to God, my feet are beautiful because I'm bringing the gospel. Your feet are beautiful when you take the gospel and walk in the shoes of faith, bringing Christianity in your shoe leather, in your sandals, in your boots, in your sport shoes, in your dress-up shoes, in your high heels, your low heels, whatever, wherever, whoever, however, whenever. Christianity in your shoes is what Christ wants you to do. And they made that commitment. And they went back and they were blessed to tell the others that Christ is alive and well. And that required a change in them. They had to make a change on the move. While they were going away, they had to turn around and make a change and come back. And the Christian life is full of changes. I have to say to you that change is not comfortable. It's not easy. But it is so profitable. It is so fruitful. It's so joyful later on when you get past the change that was difficult and say, well, look, look what happened. If I had if I had not made that decision to change my thinking or my ways or my attitude, I would never be enjoying what I have. So you find Christ, you come to him, and he begins to change you as you decide to commit your life to him. So I want to pray with you right now for a moment and those listening today or watching on Facebook. This is the prayer to recognize Jesus Christ walking with you, aside, beside you, walking along with you, calling upon you to change and follow him. Here's my prayer for you and with you. You can pray it along with me silently, or you can simply let the word sink in to your life. Dear Father, 
I want to make some changes. I want my feet to be beautiful. But first, I've got to dedicate them to you. Lord, help me to lace up my shoes or to put on my sandals or to put on my slip-ons and start walking. Walking with you every single day. Lord, help me to get to the cross and look to Christ to be forgiven of my sins. To see the price he paid. Lord, help me to see the resurrected Jesus. And live by the resurrected power every single day in victory. Not be depressed, discouraged, dispirited, or careless. But to walk with you every single day. Lord, enable me to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Now may God bless the teaching of this word today and settle it in your heart. And to our Facebook viewers, I thank you for watching today. And I'd like to ask you to share this message through your Facebook with others as well and get the good news out about the closeness of Jesus Christ. And you can be already sharing the news by simply doing that. And thank you.